Well, why don't you open your Bibles uh, and stand for the reading of God's Word. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. If you don't know where the book of Psalms is, just open your Bible to the middle and you'll probably find it. Um, and we're going to be in Psalms 77. Psalms 77. And I'm just going to read verses 1 to 3. Psalm 77, verses 1 to 3. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And if you're uh, one of the kids that's going to Harvest Kids, you are released to go now. It's exciting, I know, uh, to go. Well, starting out with those three verses, you're probably like, this is going to be a fun Sunday. Moaning. Spirit faints. Weariness. If you've not experienced pain in your life to this point, which I don't know anyone that I've interacted with here that hasn't, you will. Some of you are experiencing pain because you, you've got family members that are walking through difficult issues with their health. Some of you are experiencing the pain that lost friendships. Some of you experienced some of the pain and hurt that we've experienced as a church or, you know, as a result of some of the mistakes I've made. Some of you are experiencing the pain of the fact that we're in the middle of winter. And every winter, I have some friends that just struggle with depression. I know it's sunny today, but you're like, yeah, today, but tomorrow, something's going to sneak right up. You know, something, somebody's toying with me right now because, yeah, it, it's warming up and it's not been a heavy winter, but somewhere along the line, the clouds are going to come and the storms are going to come, and I'm just going to go through this cycle. Some of us are experiencing pain from brokenness, divorce, hurt, any number of ways. And we, when we experience pain as Americans, it can, can give us like this cloud that's over us. And the temptation as Americans is to just alleviate the pain. I just don't want to feel the pain. So we can try to outrun the pain by maybe changing our circumstances or running from something. Or we can try to ignore the pain by just stuffing our emotions and acting like nothing is wrong. We can try to explain away the pain, maybe by blaming others or justifying circumstances or ignoring things. We can try to distract ourselves from the pain by staying busy. I've never been guilty of that before. Maybe we can try to deaden the pain with substances by either drinking something or smoking something or eating something or any number of things. But God's Word gives us a way to walk through the pain. And as Christians, we need to not give in to the temptation that pain is 
like something we shouldn't experience because God's word gives us a way to, to engage with him in the pain. And it's called a lament. And all, the Psalms, a third of the Psalms, so 50-ish or so, are called laments. They're often the Psalms, as you're reading through your devotions, you're just like, I want to skip to the ones that make me happy, not the ones that just verify the fact that I'm really sad and hurting. But they're there for a reason. Because as Christians in the West, we often just think that we should only experience the emotions, like the feel-good emotions, and so we should, that the that when we experience the emotions that are bad, we should just kind of like not experience those because we're supposed to right, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. We should just do the happy thing. But no, part of the Christian experience is lament. When we're like, life just stinks. God, where are you? Why is this happening to me if you love me? Lament can be defined as a loud cry or howl or a passionate expression of grief. However, in the Bible, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It is more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Mark Rogop, an author of a great book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy that I would recommend uh, if you want to learn more about lament. He said, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. Lament is not a pill that we take to feel better. So to be clear, it's not like, okay, if I do this lament, you, this is something I'm going to learn how to do it, and that's going to make the pain go away. No, lament is really a, a path that leads us from from brokenness and disappointment to hope and praise. But that doesn't necessarily mean it always alleviates the pain. We may be in the midst of something that's just going to be long-term challenge or suffering. Again, Mark Rogop says, Lament invites us to turn our gaze from the rubble of life to the Redeemer of every hurt. It calls us to turn towards promise while still in pain. And so we're going to read back through this again, and pages are going to come up. I don't want you to, to, to stand. We've, we've, we've done our kind of tradition of standing for the reading of God's Word, but I want you to have your Bibles open, look at your Bibles, and Paige is going to read through the entire psalm. And as she does, just engage with how the psalmist is engaging with pain and his emotions and everything. So thanks, Paige, for reading Psalm 77 for us. Okay, let me find it. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night, 
Let my, me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known the might among your peoples. You, with your arm, redeem your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid indeed. The deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunders was in a whirlwind. Your lightnings lightened up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paige. Now, each lament is different in the Psalms. Some, you know, they don't all look the same. There's a couple of Psalms that actually have no resolution. Like, life stinks at the beginning and life stinks at the end. And you're kind of done going, like, what do we do with this one? And Lord willing, I'll preach on one of those in the coming weeks. <clears throat> but this particular Psalm is a, a help, helpful to us to give us a, a pattern of what what do we do when we're in the midst of pain? What do we do with it? And the first thing that we see here that the psalmist does is he verbalizes his pain. In lament, we verbalize our pain. It says, I cry aloud to God. The psalmist isn't silent or stationary. He is in pain. He's not babbling or whimpering, but he is crying out to God in prayer, and he's crying aloud. I know most of us, kind of when we pray, we kind of like we're praying under our breath sometimes, or maybe we're in the quiet, but like this is like I'm crying aloud to God. He's articulating the pain that's going on inside as if it feels like it's on the outside. Maybe it's on the outside. Maybe it's on the inside. Maybe it's both. But he prays. It takes faith to pray lament. We often think that doing something like what Dwayne and Bonnie are doing, hopping on a plane for 24 hours and going to Liberia and doing like that takes faith to do something like that. But when you're in pain, praying takes faith, and it's an act of faith, and you can know that and be 
comforted by that, and God will give you that faith. But we must resolve to pray in the midst of our pain because prayer can be a beautiful mercy that pushes our hearts towards God in the midst of pain. Don't believe that God doesn't care about your pain. Don't believe the lie that you should give God the silent treatment. If I give God the silent treatment, I don't talk to him, he'll finally just know this hurts, he'll stop it. Don't believe the lie that you think God is giving you the silent treatment. Know God is listening. Because in verse 1 it says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. He will hear me. Verbalize your pain. Alexander McLaren wrote, Doubts are better put into plain speech than lying diffused and darkening like poisonous mists in the heart. A thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. Like sharing it, articulating it out loud. Now when we experience disappointment, unanswered prayers, circumstances that were just like, these are confusing, I can't make sense of that, I don't know what's going on here, or they feel completely out of control sometimes. When that happens, we, we run the risk of being silent. But this psalm, God's encouraging through this psalm for us to verbalize our pain. Verbalize it. Write it down sometimes if that's easier for you. Sometimes it's easier. Some of us just communicate better when we, when we write it on paper because we can write it out and write out our thoughts. Say it out loud. Express it. If you need some space to express it, we got a big yard in the back. You can come and scream as loud as you want. Preferably not at 2 in the morning for the sake of the neighbors, but it's there. I've gone out there and prayed loudly to the Lord on a number of occasions. When you verbalize your pain, you're talking to God. You're taking a step of faith. So in lament, we verbalize our pain. But also in lament, it is being real with God about your struggles. So look back at the text, verses 2 to 4. Just being real with God. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Come on! Just this picture. My soul refuses to be comforted. You're just like, maybe comfort's going to come, but for some reason the pain is just like, no. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open, just kind of speaking to the weariness that's there, and I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. So there's like all the emotions. Well, I'm moaning, but I can't talk, and it speaks to the depths of the psalmist's pain. But he's being real with God because grief is complicated. 
if it were simple, we would just do what we need to do and not be feeling it. I, I, I know no one, no, no one ever said, oh man, I just love, I love feeling horrible. This is just great. I just don't want this to stop. No, as I've counseled people over the many years of having the privilege to be a pastor, there's just pain, and I wish I had the magic pills to stop the pain. Things don't always get unwound, but the psalmist expresses his agony, and you can specifically express your agony because lament is honest communication with the God of the universe who wants you to know he, he hears your prayers and he's listening. He's tuned in. Now understand, praying like the psalmist, is, it's not a formula. I don't want you to come to Psalm 77 and go, okay, I've got it now. Finally, the tool to alleviate all the pain I ever have in my life. And when it comes, I'm just going to turn to Psalm 77. It's like that thing I can buy at the drugstore that just seems to take away the pain. No, that's not what this is for. Now, there's certainly times where your experience might be as your heart walks through this lament that you do experience relief from the pain or that experience, but it's meant for us uh, to engage with the God of the universe, to be real with God, because the God of the universe has opened the door for you to have communication with him, because there was this separation because of our sin between us and God. There was no crossing that chasm. And Christ bridged that chasm that lay between us when he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have right relationship with God. And we have right relationship with God. So he's opened the door for us to have communion with him. And because of what Christ has done, we don't have to be going to prayer going, oh, am I saying the right thing so that God will hear me? Or am I doing this wrong? No. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can come knowing that the debt is paid. And you can commune with the God of the universe because of what Christ has done. Because Jesus experienced the pain and hurt of this world. And he's the one that calls you to come to him. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and Join me. Be real with the God who got real and came and dwelt among us. Now, instead of me giving an illustration of what a personal lament could look like, because certainly we can look at the text of Scripture and see that, but sometimes just a practical example of a lament can serve us. So I've asked the worship team to come and sing, and Hughes recommended a song of lament. It's not a psalm, but just a song that expresses pain and hurt. We're not going to stand and sing, but just listen. The words will be on the screen. Maybe this will be a prayer for you. Maybe this will just be like, ah, 
a way for us to just identify with the reality of the hurt that we experience in our life. So they're going to they're gonna share this with us this morning. Got a hold on me. The shadow is all I see. Way down, no, I can't break free. Sorrow's got a hold on me.
for serving us. So, this is what the psalmist is experiencing. This is what you may be experiencing. Maybe you've experienced things like what was sung in your life, and you didn't know what to do with it, and you just kind of stuffed it to the side and thought, well, I've, I've navigated past the hard thing. Those emotions are real. The experience is real. The pain is real. And after sharing our real emotions... You may ask questions because that's what the psalmist does. You may get to the place where you're going to ask questions. Look back at the text in verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search, and then he asked these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? He's asking Six rhetorical questions, and you might resonate with them. God, will you reject me forever? God, will you never again accept me for the stuff that I've done? God, has your unfailing love come to an end for me? It seems to be abundant for everyone else, but it's, it's come to an end for me. Have your promises come to an end for me in in my lifetime, has that come to an end? God, have you forgotten? Lord, did you, for, did you forget to show mercy for me, to me? God, have you gotten so angry with me that you're now withholding your compassion from me? So the real questions that we ask, and they come from the real feelings that we have that kind of come out of the pain and the trial and the struggle that we walk through. Now, does the psalmist really believe that God is not loving? I think as we read on, theologically, no. I think he believes that God is loving and we can be that way as Christians. We're like, well, theologically, we know he's loving. We'd say, you are loved at the end of our services, and we've heard messages on God being loving, and I've memorized verses on God being loving. God's certainly loving in my life, but yet there seems to be this, uh, this difference in what we know to be true to, to what our experience is, sometimes and in different seasons. So there are times when pain is so great that we ask questions like these. And asking these questions, we wonder. And we're kind of scared to ask these questions. We wonder, if I ask these questions, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does that mean I'm, I'm starting down a slippery slope? I don't want to start down that slippery slope that gets me to, to some place of deconstructing my faith. I just, so I'm just not even going to ask the questions. And so it can, it can scare us to ask the questions. I've experienced this as a pastor. I'm like, well, I, I can't doubt. I have to get up and preach. I can't doubt what's going on or question these things. I've experienced them. 
experienced them the last number of months. I've, you've experienced questions. But Pastor Mark Rogab helpfully says this. He says, honestly praying this way recognizes that pain and suffering often create difficult emotions that are not based upon truth, but they feel true nonetheless. Because they do. They feel true. So we've asked questions. And we have to understand that honest, pain-filled questions, they're part of the Christian experience. How do I know they're part of the Christian experience? Uh, Let's look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. You don't have to turn there. I think it's going to be on the screen. But this is what Paul shared. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Despaired of life itself. That was Paul's experience. Yes, the guy that we know that preached the gospel boldly, that saw amazing things happen, and he despaired of life itself. It says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. My life is over. That's what I feel like right now. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God uses our pain, not in a pithy, oh, it's going to be fine. Yes, I know God works all things together for good, but in the midst of that pain, that's not where we go, but we know that God's going to use it to, to direct our gaze to Him because lament leads us to the truth about God that anchors our souls. The psalmist takes a turn. Look back at your Bibles in verse 10. He says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the most high. He comes to a turning point. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to skip to the turning point. Why didn't this just start with 10? I don't want to deal with the other stuff. I just want to get to the turning point. But let's verbalize our pain. Let's be real with God. Let's ask the disturbing questions. But there comes a point where we need to call to mind the things that we know are true, and they become an anchor for us. So kind of like an invisible anchor. I don't have an anchor with me. I'd planned to have an anchor with me, and I forgot to pick it up from the friend that I knew. But, but you just imagine you, you throw an anchor in the water. What does that anchor do for you if you're in a boat? Does it make the waves still? No. Does it keep the water from coming into the boat? Does it keep you from being cold because you've gotten soaked from everything because things are tossing and turning? Does it keep you from dropping things over the edge? No. But the anchor keeps you from going adrift. It doesn't stop the pain. 
It keeps you from going adrift. And we know that, that Christ is our anchor and he's in heaven. We are tied. We learned that from Hebrews, that we are tied to him. So even as the winds and the waves and the storms of life come, there's something that anchors us. And it's the truth about who God is. That's what anchors us. He remembers the word that's so powerful over the next few verses is, I will remember. In verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember the wonders of your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. And it, it goes on. You're the God who works wonders. So we want to remember God's powerful deliverance throughout human history. That's why it's so important to read the Old Testament. I know it's easier sometimes, more applicable as you go and you read things in the New Testament, but the Old Testament is God's story of, of redemptive history of his dealings with his people. Read through the narrative parts where it's the story where God comes and he delivers his people. And we see it time and again, even when his people disobey him and they walk uh, contrary to him or even curse him, God is still there all along the way. You just keep reading when it's like, well, there we go. You know, you, when you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, or, or 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, you're just like, oh, things are going good, and then they don't go good, and then they go good, and then they don't go good. You're just like, I'm going to get sick as I read this. But you know what's constant? God is constant whether he's the constant as he delivers his people out of Egypt or he's the constant uh, when he's with his people in Babylon. As we studied the book of Daniel and, and folks are, are in exile, God is the constant. God is the constant, and we need to be reminded. So the Old Testament isn't boring facts. It's truths about God's deliverance, and we remember the deeds of the Lord, his mighty works move us from from raw questions to confident trust. They move us to confident trust. So ask yourself the question. Ask God the question. What are the mighty works, God, that you even talk about in this psalm that I need to remember? That I need to remember. God, what are the mighty works from your word that I have read and studied that I need to remember? What are the mighty works, God, in my life that I need to remember? Countless times when I've been in the place of pain and discouragement in my life, the thing that's helped me the most is not that I've discovered some new truth. I don't need something that's new. I need something that's true. And it's, it's friends, gospel friends, friends in, in the church that, that point me to the truths that I already know about God. They'll, they'll open up their Bibles and I'll be like, I think I've shared that with people before. Why didn't I remember that? Because we forget. That's why we need to be in fellowship with one another, in relationship with one another, to remind one another of who God is and what he's done, to remind one another of Christ. That's why we do the small group thing. 
It's not because it's just a kind of a fun thing. It's so that we can know one another and we start not believing it and you're having a conversation and someone, as they talk to you, they're, they're clearly kind of in a downward spiral. You go, oh, oh, loved one. Here, let me, let me just grab your face and look, look here. Look here. Hey, remember, remember what God has done. Remember how God delivered you again and again and again. I mean, the longer we know friends, right, it's so helpful because they can point us to God working in our life, but they can always point us to God working here. That's why you can fellowship with Christians. That's why Dwayne and Bonnie are going to go hang with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Liberia and be an encouragement to them, not because they've had life experience together, though Dwayne's investing in some of the pastors. No, they're going to point them to God and give them courage. So remembering anchors our souls. So in lament, this process takes us to anchoring our souls in who God is. And then lament ultimately points us to the gospel. When you look at this passage, look at verse 15 and 16 and 19. 15 says, you with your arm redeemed your people. The children of Jacob and Joseph, when the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. And jump down to 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. The psalmist is speaking about the exodus that had happened. Remember, God's people found themselves in Egypt through the story of Joseph and they were there and they were flourishing and then they became oppressed and in slavery. And Moses led them to the promised land and the Pharaoh and his army were pressing in. Like, how are we going to be saved? We're stopped here at this body of water, and God parts the water. The people of God go through, and when the enemy goes through, the waters crush back over, and they are safely on the other side. That's what, what the psalmist is calling our remembrance of the Exodus. God was the Redeemer, He redeemed His people, He bought them out of slavery. And for us, on this side of the cross, that redemption points us to the great Redeemer and points us towards our deliverance in Christ. Because coming to Christ means we have a deliverance from sin and the weight of sin and the penalty of sin. And if you have not trusted in Christ, I consider you, consider, ask you to consider Jesus this morning who can deliver you from that. It doesn't mean coming to Christ is now an easy thing. No, I'm talking about the fact that Christians deal with pain and suffering and struggle. But yet when you come to Christ, you have one who's entered into your pain. He entered into this world to experience the, the challenges and the limitations that we face and his footprints, though it says here, you know, his footprints uh, were unseen. His footprints sometimes feel unseen, but as we look, we can see his handiwork at work. 
we know they are there because Jesus promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. So even in the midst of our struggle, we can know, I, even if I don't see the footprints, oh, they're there. Because Jesus promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and he always keeps his word, always. Lament directs us to Christ, the great deliverer. It says, you led your people like a flock. The great deliverer, the great shepherd, because Jesus isn't indifferent to our pain. I want to flip over to the Gospel of John for just an illustration from Scripture. In John chapter 11, we come to the story of Lazarus, the story where you know, Mary and Martha and, and, and Lazarus has died. He's, he's died. Mary and Martha are grieved. And Jesus didn't come. Jesus isn't indifferent to the pain. Now, he could have healed Lazarus before he got there. He could have done that. We read that in the Scriptures where Jesus, you know, someone just comes and says, hey, can you heal my so-and-so? And they get back, and at that hour, they were healed. Mary and Martha like, what? What's going on? And, but he comes, and rather than just going, hey, I'm here now. No, what does Jesus do in 11.33? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus experienced the pain that they were walking through in that moment. And they took him to where they had laid him. And what's Jesus' response? In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. You must understand the significance of the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus didn't have to weep. Jesus didn't have to enter into the pain of that moment. He could have healed Lazarus, but he enters into our pain and he wept. So when you look to Christ, you aren't looking to a Savior who is aloof. You're looking to a Savior who understands. He understands when no one else understands. He understands when your spouse doesn't understand or when your friends don't understand or when others in the church or anywhere. He, when no one else understands, Jesus understands and you can know he's entered into our pain and he's felt it and he's touched it and he's experienced it and as you hold on to him you can know that there's going to come a day where he's going to deliver us from all our pain and he does deliver in this moment he does say Lazarus come out and we know one day from Revelation 7, 17, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We know there's going to be a deliverance from this pain. 
it is temporary, though it is real and doesn't feel like it's temporary. But he's the good shepherd. So as we look at the end of this psalm and we read, you, let your you led your people like a flock. Let it take you right to the fact that he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus said it in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. So may our lament take us to the one who's walked in our pain that we would know his place and that he will walk with us. I want to close with one more quote from Pastor Mark Rogop who said, Heartfelt cries of lament are often brief or messy. They might feel a bit forced or uncomfortable, but keep talking to God. Don't allow your fear, your despair, or your track record of silence to cut off the flow of grace. Your pain can be a path toward God if you'll allow lament to be your new language. If you don't have the words, read one of the Psalms of Lament out loud. Linger over it. Let it open your heart. Let lament do its work in your life. Allow it to lead you to other aspects of this sacred song of sorrow. But whatever you do, don't stop talking to God. Keep wrestling. Keep struggling. Keep praying. And so we're going to take some time to pray right now. Before we do a song where we stand together, we're just going to have a song played again, a, a different song the worship team's going to sing, but the words are going to be on the screen. So for you, some of these might be a prayer as you're seated. For you, some of these may be words that you want to sing along with the worship team. Or maybe you just want to take a few moments to pray right at your seat. And when they're done singing, I'm going to come up and kind of lead us in some corporate time of just remembering the things that God has done. So let's listen, but let's engage with God.